The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis as we record a new episode on Thursday night, January 5th, 2023. In the baseball world, uh, we are starting to see more introductions of signees for teams, and we just saw it with the Chicago White Sox as Andrew Benatendi officially is introduced to the Chicago White Sox media and the fan base as he'll be wearing number 23 with the White Sox, following all-time White Sox greats and Jermaine Dye and Robin Ventura and Jake Lamb and Mark Tehan. I get, of course, uh, at least on those mm-hmm. two. Uh, but we'll talk about Andrew Benatendi's introduction and also Pedro Grafal uh, introduced Benatendi to the media and to Chicago, uh, not Rick Hahn, uh, as Rick Hahn had to travel, but Rick Hahn still spoke to the media. We'll talk about Rick Hahn's thoughts about the second base position and also Grafal's thoughts about the 2022 White Sox and what he would like to fix immediately during spring training. But Jim, first, uh, even more site news. Big shout out to Brandon and Ron, our newest Patreon Veterans Committee members. We know that uh, in the last episode, we explained as far as uh, what's coming in 2023 at Sox Machine, some of our two-year plan. And right away, Brandon and Ron jumped in to be part of the Veterans Committee, and half the slots have already been taken. And we've seen even more Patreon supporters as well signed up after that podcast episode. Thank you guys so much for doing that. Yes, uh, I think we're now uh, at eight of 16 spots in the Veterans Committee, so thank you very much. And uh, yeah, no, no matter what, you know, as we've talked about, and as I, I say every time we mention the Veterans Committee, like even if you can't do uh, the Veterans Committee level, like any uh, support and all supports helps us towards our goal. So thank you, yeah, to, to all tiers, all levels. Hopefully we'll continue to... Uh, uh, be worth it. Yeah, that's our goal. And then, you know, our goal is to get you full time. As we mentioned before, in case you missed miss the last podcast, uh, the heart of the two year plan is to get Josh to be full time on Sox Machine to allow us to do more uh, without getting burnt out. So that's the idea. And so thank you to everybody who's jumped on so far to help us towards that end of getting Josh down to one job and this being his one job. He has one job. That's what we want to be able to say to Josh <laughs> whenever he, he falters. You had one job. You used to have two. Now you have one. Yeah, that that, that would be great. Uh, and we even got, you know, people have reached out who've had video experiences. That, again, is a big job to tackle and having that type of experience. So we'll be reaching out to some of you uh, who have had this type of experience. And yes, I did hear loud and clear those that support Sox Machine from the great state of North Dakota, Jim. So All right. thank you very much for that and encouraging <laughs> for them to reach out to me. Uh, now I know more about North Dakota than I than I did uh, last week, or I should say earlier this week. Uh, so thank you again to Brandon and Ron, and thank you to everyone that has signed up recently for the Sox Machine Patreon at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. All right, baseball news. Andrew Benatendi officially introduced to the Chicago White Sox 
And right away, when asked about why he came, he's coming to Chicago and why he picked the White Sox, Benatendi mentioned that he the organizations wanted him for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it does bring up an interesting flashback talking point. Because when Benatendi says a very long time, it goes all the way back to his Arkansas days when he was playing with the Razorbacks. And the White Sox were scouting him for the Major League Baseball draft back in 2015. We know the White Sox did not take Ben Attendee because Ben Attendee ended up getting drafted by the Boston Red Sox. Then very next pick, the White Sox took Carson Fulmer. So let's go back in time, Jim, based on the information that we know about that particular draft. If Ben Attendee was available... Do you think the White Sox would have drafted Ben Attendee over Carson Fulmer? I think so. Just because I remember it before Ben Attendee got good or like, you know, towards like, you know, top five, number one overall prospect type good. And before Carson Fulmer was before that became more and more of a bad idea as years went by. Like I remember Ben Attendee fairly early on being you know, like, oh, the White Sox could have had him and uh, were interested, but he didn't get there. Um, and that was before Carson Fulmer, you know, just ran out of ideas or the White Sox ran out of ideas for Carson Fulmer. So uh, I remember with Ben Intendi that he was with Lowell, uh, the Lowell spinners of the New York Penn League when that was the thing uh, before the minor league uh, contraction. And he was playing in uh, in Troy, uh, where I used to live, the uh, playing the Tri-City Valley Cats, and that was uh, 2015. And I went there to see him because I thought like, oh, I remember the White Sox being interested and I should go see what he's all about. And like the first at bat, he homers over the right field fence and thinking like, oh, well, there you go. There's Andrew Benintendi. You know, kind of remember along the same lines like Mark Appel uh, when he made his pro debut uh, at at, at Tri-City in Troy. First pitch gave up a triple and that kind of foreshadowed uh, the way things are going to go for him. So uh, I'm two for two on the... uh, my, my first impressions from pro debuts, but yeah, uh, I, I remember that being there at the time. I just wonder like if Ben Intendi were in the white Sox, would he be a white Sox right now? Or would he be like, would he have reached free agency? Would he have not signed an extension? And would he be looking at another team right now, taking advantage mm. of the jet stream out to right field and being more than the white Sox are willing to pay kind of a, a, a fascinating, uh, alternate timeline there. And maybe if, uh, the off season crawls to a halt to which, not necessarily a bad thing. It used to be super slow in mid-January, and I used to have to think of uh, uh, you know post ideas to get through the uh, the fallow period before SoxFest. Now SoxFest isn't a thing, so we don't have that for content. Um, might be worth thinking about just in terms of like what what may have it, or what it may have looked like uh, had Ben Intendi uh, been drafted by the White Sox and had the White Sox been able to. Uh, try to see his career all the way through. I think it would have been a fascinating debate to be a fly on the wall in the White Sox war room back in that draft because the amateur scouting director at the time, Nick Hostetler, was in love with Carson Fulmer. I mean, he made the comment that Carson Fulmer's the type of guy that you want your daughters to marry. And a bit odd at the time. And Carson Fulmer had Mm -hmm. this like bulldog mentality that they hyped up and he was helping Vanderbilt, you know, leading Vanderbilt's charge to the College World Series. I think it would have been a fascinating internal debate if Boston did not take Andrew Benatendi to see in how the scouts of the White Sox front office would have talked that way through and who would ultimately make the decision and who that decision would be. But obviously that didn't come to fruition. Benatendi got taken one pick ahead. But I I don't know if it's so much a slam dunk. Maybe it is at Rick Hahn's point of view because mm-hmm. that was Rick Hahn's guy. But as we have learned over the years covering the Major League Baseball draft, not everyone agrees in that war room on who the first round pick should be yeah. for the Chicago White Sox. So I, I just get a chuckle out of that personally because Rick Hahn makes it sound like, oh, he was our number one on the draft board. It's like, eh, I don't necessarily think so. That might be a bit of a revisionist history. Uh, all those years ago. But alas, Andrew Benatendi yeah. is finally with the White Sox. And the White Sox have tried to trade for Andrew Benatendi as well, probably back in the Chris Sale trade. But Dave Dabrowski at the time said no to that. And uh, Dave Dabrowski did also say no to a Mankata and Rafael Devers. And Rafael Devers is going to be staying in Boston for a while uh, with his new big contract. But the other thing that caught my attention with Andrew Benatendi outside of him going to be wearing number 23 with the Chicago White Sox 
was this quote that you also referenced in your column on SoxMachine.com, Jim. And it harkens back to a conversation that we had recently about Andrew Benatendi and how we may be seeing a power uptick from Benatendi with the White Sox. And Andrew said, quote, for me playing at Kauffman in 2021, I got pretty frustrated just flying out to, we joked about it all the time, these long flyouts. I'm not the biggest guy. It's going to take everything I can to hit a ball out of that stadium. So going into last year, I was thinking, let's just hit for higher average and higher on base, and hopefully this works, or I'm going to be in a world of trouble. I'm trying to be a complete hitter. Playing in guarantee Ray Field, a lot of those long flyouts will turn into doubles and home runs without even trying to change anything. And I think that's enlightening coming from the player perspective after the conversation, the analysis that you did, Jim, about Ben Attendee hitting that guarantee Ray Field. It sounds like mm -hmm. Ben Attendee agrees with you. If you're worried about my five home runs last year, don't be because more power is coming. Yeah, I'm glad he's the one who said that and not Rick Hahn. Like Rick Hahn during his uh, media session. And can we uh, take a second to remark on how strange it was that uh, Rick Hahn was not there for the franchise record um, introduction, like the franchise record contract. It was like a two-step uh, process to uh, ha have it. And you would think like they had three weeks to settle on a date to all be in the same place to get there. You would think that they would be able to make that possible and make it more of a thing versus Pedro Grafal introducing them. You think they'd all be there to be on hand for this. It, it, it took a little bit out of the proceedings and made me just wonder like, you know, are they a little bit... Does he want to dodge the questions about it being a $75 million being the franchise record contract or something like that? Like it's, that struck me as a little bit weird. And Ben Intendi was asked about that and he said it was humbling and he misused the word humbling a little bit, but also it is like a reflection of just like, he shouldn't be the guy getting a franchise record contract necessarily. There should be like one superstar ahead of him getting that nine figure deal. But uh, that aside, I, I'm glad Rick Hahn in his Zoom call uh, the day before said that Ben Intendi, like even, you know, there's a chance that he might be able to hit more homers at guaranteed rate field and that there might be a, a way that, you know, the balls that he hits just, you know, uh, by luck of timing, by just being in the right place, at the right time doesn't have to do a thing and just might get to 15, 20 homers, just uh, hitting the same he was at Kaufman uh, and they'd be happy with that. But they also like the guy he's been the project production he has offered in the last two years at, at the Roy, uh, you know, at Kaufman stadium with the Royals. And that was reassuring to me more than Rick Hahn saying that we think we can, you know, get him to pull the ball in the air and, and get to 20 homers because I don't think you sign a guy for 75 million and hope he can be better. You know, if, if this is like the White Sox big um, investment uh, for this entire rebuild period, like you should get a ready-made player with that money. You should get somebody that you're happy with that you don't feel like you have to tweak because who knows, you maybe make a change and that, Creates another problem, opens up another whole little bit of whack-a-mole when it comes to uh, you know mechanical issues and whatnot. So I'm happy that he's happy with the player as is. And Ben and Tenney is the one saying, you know, I, I have the ability to change some things. Like I was a pole hitter before I realized that at Fenway that there aren't really rewards for that. So I started using the monster and then yeah, I moved to Kauffman Stadium and couldn't really get one out of the alleys either way uh, on a reliable basis. So it wasn't worth trying to go that way. And then with the Yankees, unfortunately, only 33 games and he had the wrist issue before the, uh, the power up tick, uh, could manifest itself, but there is a uh, post on fan graphs by, uh, uh, make sure I get the name right, Esteban Rivera, whose name is new to me, but he uh, talked about how there is a sense or at least a little bit of a track record here, Ben Benintendi being able to change his batted ball profile based on where he's hitting with a little bit of time. So not completely out of the question, not like somebody who has never been able to pull the ball in the air before suddenly trying to do it because as we've seen, many, many times and, and with many, many prospects and many, many major leaguers that pulling the ball in the air against the best pitching in the world is not something that can easily be taught or learned midstream. Like it's either something you have or you make yourself a useful player around that weakness. And Ben Benintendi, uh, although he's had limited time to show it because the ballparks he's played in hasn't really rewarded it, has at least shown the ability when the opportunity presents itself to start working in that direction. So when during this press conference, I was going to save that bit for later, Jim, about Rick Hahn not being there on Wednesday as he was away. We don't know why he was away, 
Uh, but he did have a Zoom press conference with the White Sox beat reporters the night before at seven o'clock, <laughs> which is also weird. But anyways, yeah. uh, Pedro Gafal was there to answer questions from the rest of White Sox media that were invited to the introduction press conference. And Gafal was asked straight point, what does this mean for Aloy Jimenez? Is he going to be your full-time DH? And Grafal did the best that he could to talk around the subject, made it clear, Andrew Benetetti's here to play left field. Andrew Benetetti's going to play left field. But that doesn't mean that Aloy Jimenez is not going to play outfield in 2022. And I'm recommending him to continue in the offseason to work at being a better defensive outfielder and also get some angles and take some fly balls in right field during spring training. All right, Jim, what do you think about the idea of maybe Aloy Jimenez getting some games and maybe some starts in right field for the White Sox? No. Okay. Uh, glad we agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's a, that's a case where like Griffal, you know, that might be him showing his, uh, you know, greenhorn status in terms of just like uh, maybe not having seen the things we've seen with our White Sox fan eyes. Like maybe, you know, he's watched it from the other dugout and said like, all right, you know, it hasn't, hadn't stored away as trauma, just stored it away as like, oh, that was a, a, a good development that that ball split the gap or that it was rounded off or that we took an extra base on a throw. Uh, but when it comes to like Jimenez, like even if you trust that the range could hold up, uh, or like, yeah, that his routes would be okay and that he would not like hurt himself uh, trying to operate a different corner and breaking in balls a different way and like not knowing the number of steps he has going to his left before he hits like a, the sidewall and gets tangled in the netting. There's still the matter of like his arm not being, uh, his arm's not even really that good for left. So for right, like I can just imagine more and more bases being taken on him uh, than they already were. And given that it took a while for Jimenez to throw the ball into the infield. Um, you know, that, that was another problem early on was his decision-making and, and the quickness of his decision-making with where to go with the ball. Like from right field, would that be a resetting the counter on, on just like the angles and what he's learned and who to throw to that sort of thing. So I don't like it for a whole host of reasons. I can see like him, uh, Griffal saying that, you know, he's not going to be DH only because what if something happens to Benintendi, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, Jimenez pretty much has to play left or has to play some left. So you don't want that to go to rust. You don't want Jimenez to say like, you're, or say to Jimenez, like, you're going to be DHing, feel free to gain 30 pounds. Like, you don't want to say that like that. So that I understand, but I think it's just the case, like the more you talk about it and like, you know, if you talk about it, then the question is like, where, well, where will he play? And then like, there's only one other spot he can play because he's not going to play center. So you have to kind of mention rights, especially since like Oscar Colas hasn't won the job yet. The White Sox haven't signed really a credible fourth outfielder uh, to play out there. So he is like the only option if you don't want Andrew Vaughn out there to be like, well, you know, Jimenez can't play some right. And Gavin Sheets is theoretically there and improved over the course of the year, but there really isn't a satisfying answer to right field. So uh, if you felt like you had to say something, that's really the only thing you can say. Hopefully it'll be a case where like the White Sox will acquire somebody and then, you know, it'll be, you know, Griffal will say he's still going to rotate in and out of some spots just to keep him fresh because we want him to have that skill, but he won't have to like, he won't have to walk into that dead end of being like, well, there's only one other outfield spot he can play if Benintendi's in left and just, uh, you know, and, and try to pass it off with a straight face. I would hope that it's not something he's really satisfied with saying aloud, but it's just something he has to say because there's only one corner to speak of. Yeah, with the Oscar Colossus not being mentioned, reminder, Colossus is still not on the 40-man roster. Yes, yeah, correct. So the White Sox are, even though we know, like we know that Colossus is probably the front runner to start in right field for the Chicago White Sox until he's added to the 40-man roster. Don't be surprised if Rick Hahn or Pedro Grafal, they don't make a lot of mention about Oscar Colossus until we get to spring training into camp and we see on how well or how poorly Colossus is doing uh, during camp. Yeah. But if he's doing really well, then we'll, we'll hear more about the possibility of him starting right field. So don't fret if you're one worried about, well, why didn't Grafal mention Oscar Colossus? That time is coming. I, I think it's just because Colossus is currently not on the 40-man roster for the Chicago White Sox. Well, I would say like there's that and also just with him being out the 40-man, uh, you know, there, he could have a terrible spring and thus they don't need to rush him. Or like if he gets 
hurts halfway through just like they'd rather have the roster spot open. So yeah, I think the 40 man thing would be at the end of spring when it's clear, like he is the best option for right field. If it gets to that point that that's when they'd add him. but they may as well like have that flexibility just in case, you know, God forbid, uh, you know, he, he takes a pitch on the wrist or something like that and has to miss a few weeks uh, may as well just have that flexibility. But yeah, right now I think that's something they have to talk around. Uh, but Unfortunately, without any other outfielders in tow besides Benintendi, yeah, as we've talked about many times watching that, uh, the, the list of outfielders on the uh, 26-man roster, uh, now there are only two, two and a half outfielders on that list. And for Aloy Jimenez in 2023, I think the number is greater than zero of games that Jimenez is going to play in the outfield. Like he's going to play in the outfield at some point during the 2023 season. I do think the number is below 20 and a half games hmm. that Aloy Jimenez is out in the outfield. I don't see him playing the outfield a whole lot, maybe once or twice a week. And we all hold our breath that he doesn't hurt himself while he's out there while we're watching that game. I don't think it's going to be a lot of games for Aloy Jimenez in the outfield, but it's best for him to continue preparing. And if it helps him stay in shape, then by all means, Go for it. Just uh, just don't get hurt, Aloy. I, I don't even think he's going to play in the outfield for the Team Dominican Republic during the Winter Baseball Classic, especially with how stacked that roster is. I don't know how he's going to get any playing time uh, with that team in the World Baseball Classic, but he's on the team, and I'm sure he'll get more reps there, and we'll all hold our breath when we watch those games come in March. Uh, hopefully, uh, Jimenez and all of the White Sox players participate in the WBC uh, could stay healthy, but I know that got a, a little bit of reaction on social media about Pedro Grafal referencing Aloy Jimenez at right field. Uh, but Jim and I really don't think that's a plausible for Rick Hahn and his press conference on Tuesday night with beat reporters. He was asked about what's next. And obviously that is about the second base position. And I'm not going to read a Rick Hahn quote because you can make it up with the years of experience you've been reading and hearing Rick Hahn quotes. And I will say you're pretty close. Uh, to what he actually said. It was a, a a great bowl of word soup from Rick Hahn. But what it really boils down to is that, according to Rick Hahn and the White Sox front office, their job is never done and try to approve the ball club, blah, 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 GM speak. And that internally, the White Sox are fine if they start the season with Romy Gonzalez, Lenin Soso, or Lurie Garcia as the starting second baseman. Jim, is that acceptable? I think it's acceptable if they shore up the outfield. Usually a team has one iffy spot going into the roster. Even like good teams have like one spot they're working out or might have a few options to cycle through before ultimately settling on a guy. And so I think, you know, the White Sox can be forgiven if uh, they roll into you know, the 2023 season with like a deserving Oscar Colas and right. Luis Robert in center, Andrew Benintendi in left. Quality fourth outfielder like Adam Duvall has come up. Ramon Laureano has come up as the possibilities. Uh, and, and somebody of that ilk who can cover center field can play right. If he's starting for a week, you don't hate it. Uh, just you know, if emergency strikes, that's not bad. If you get to that point and you're looking at the lineup and, you know, I guess we'll see, have a sense of like what Yasmani Grandal looks like uh, going into the season to get an idea of like, is it going to be a 50-50 split? Does it look like he can be closer to the guy than he was, even if it's like a decline phase, like a decent decline phase Grandal versus like, you know, peak one. Uh, I think the White Sox would be happy with. Like I said, when we talk about Romy Gonzalez, I'm going to leave it to the possibility that like one of these guys, Gonzalez Sosa, you know, Garcia, and maybe last, I think last year was so weird. And I think uh, it's a conversation to have, but I wonder like if Tony LaRusso's absence is going to do Larry Garcia a world of favors just by like, being closer to the guy he's supposed to be rather than the guy Tony LaRusso envisioned as this like superstarter. And Garcia sounded like kind of miserable last year and he kept playing. I don't I don't even know if he wanted to play. Uh he didn't have any answers for anybody. Like I could just see him being like, just stop starting me. Like just let me let me work things out and be a hero once in a while and 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 everybody will get off my back. So yeah, part of me wonders if he can like just be mixed into a role versus being like the guy who plays five times a week, if that'll help him. But I think the jury is out a bit like when it comes to second base, like Gonzalez had such a cursed year last year with his health that he could be somebody. Sosa has shown the ability to uh, 
improve greatly once he gets like a, you know, take some lumps at a level for like a month or so. So I can see him coming back stronger. So I'm not opposed to that, but I would like to see it being like the weakest position rather than being like, yeah, right field could be the weakest position too, or catcher could be the weakest position. Like uh, I'd, I'd rather be just the, the one spot that everybody has to worry about. Uh, and I'm hoping with catcher that Grandal looks a little bit healthier. Sebi Zavala can, yeah, I, I think Sebi, the way he played last year, is fine. It's just the strikeout rate scares me. Like the strikeout rate is what makes me think like, oh, he could just, you know, go back into like a, a you know, 180 hitter who can't draw a walk. But like the way he played last year, he, he framed okay. He threw not great, but not terribly. He blocked okay. He like, he, you know, he hit well enough. Like that's a backup catcher. So, you know, there are some pieces there, but yeah, I think with outfield it's short up a little bit more second base would be fine because i think one of those guys by the second half of the season could be a uh, a solution and i'm not entirely counting out yolbert sanchez as a poor man's nick madrigal i'm not uh you know counting out jose rodriguez from being a factor in the second half so they have some guys you know they have enough guys that can cycle through to where like i'm thinking like 2021 remember when like jake lamb and brian goodwin and adam angle just like they, they got like three hot weeks from a guy that that bought time and I'm thinking like second base could be more of the same where they're not going to be married to a guy, but they might just try to uh, swap pieces in and out and, and, and try to find like good matchups, uh, good healthy runs and try to make it work until the permanent solution uh, presents itself. Assuming no trade is made. The acceptable part. I think at second base, there's not many options available right now in free agency that you could find help at second base. I know some people will say Elvis Andrews, but let's face it, everyone. Andrews right now has options to be a starting shortstop for some teams in major league baseball. One of the division rivals, the Minnesota twins still need a shortstop. So I don't think it's plausible with Elvis Andrews, the way that the contract is set up for Ben in 2023, where he only makes an $8 million salary and he gets a $3 million signing bonus suggests to me that if the payroll is roughly the same as last year, there's still a little wiggle room here for Rick Khan to add to the payroll. And I'm talking like a contract below $5 million. And this is where you get into the conversation about Adam Duvall, or if there's any type of backup catcher that they like better than Sevi Savala or Carlos Perez. Perez is hitting really well in the Dominican league uh, in the winter league this year. Uh, and maybe he that could, could carry over during spring training, and he's a more viable option than Sebi Zavala, which the problem with Zavala is he's out of options. So if you don't hold on to him, you let him go, and mm. then I'm sure another team will pick him up on waivers, and then you have a problem at depth of catcher. I like the idea of Adam Duvall because Adam Duvall is hyper, extreme team ball in air. Like, just warms my heart jim looking at his batted ball metrics 18 percent mm-hmm. ground ball rate 52 percent fly ball rate heck yeah let's bring that to fall over he'll play 60 games for the white Sox and hit 20 home runs with those types of metrics especially if he plays the majority of those games at gary t ray field he'll be hurt for the other 100 games but that pretty much makes him a white Sox already so why not get that deal done i don't think it's acceptable if Rick Hahn in early January says my team is on the field, I don't think that is acceptable mm-hmm. uh, before going into spring training. I think the white Sox need to make one more move. And, and like I mentioned, it's a smallish move. He did hint at the fact that it's impossible for him to know if this is the team that he has going to opening day because of spring training. And we'll see if he makes another deal. And if a team really needs a high leverage reliever, whether that's Liam Hendricks or Kendall Graveman, Maybe that's a possibility as well for the White Sox. But if everyone's wondering if the White Sox are done, I think they're done by making a big signing in free agency, but there's not much out there to throw big cash out at anyways in early July in free agency, uh, even with the uncertainty of the Carlos Correa situation. But I, I think the White Sox have one more smallish move in free agency that they can add to this roster, Jim. And we'll see if they do. And not a reliever, oh, hopefully. Gosh. Yeah. I can't not believe you brought that up. Uh, I can't believe you brought that yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that with Duvall, like the one thing that uh 
you know, you mentioned extreme ball and air. Like he's had some extreme pop-up rates too, which is, I think is the one thing that kind of saps my enthusiasm a little bit for like an Adam Duvall in his thirties is I can't see him popping the ball up like 20% of the time to where like those are effectively strikeouts. But uh, he, he certainly is better than what they have uh, for outfield depth and he can cover center. I still think, okay. Uh, you know, for a part-time role, like the White Sox do not have somebody who can, you know, if Luis Robert gets hurt again, like who can play there? Uh, you know, who can rotate Billy who, Hamilton. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, I, I, I've seen Adam angle mentioned too, but like angle kind of scared me last year, just how broken he looked and, and wondering like, you know, just, is that a product of the White Sox training staff? Or is that just a guy who's just, you know, um, physically peaked early and he needs everything of his, uh, you know, physical skill set to be a major leaguer. But yeah, I'm just thinking like right now, if Luis Robert has his like customary, you know, months long injury, uh, then, you know, I guess Oscar Colas would be going to cover center, but that kind of feels like, you know, throwing another thing on his plates, you know, when he's already uh, trying to be like a decent right fielder. kind of reminds me of like, you know, Nick Swisher when they brought him in. Cause I was thinking about like Tory Hunter and how like Andrew Benintendi got the Tory Hunter contract uh, 15 years later, uh, you know, and, and how that seemed like big spending back then, but doesn't seem like anything now. Uh, but like Nick Swisher, like would have been fine in a corner, but had to play center and wasn't great there. And I, you know, so I'm a little bit apprehensive about stretching Colos in the center, but uh, it would help if like they had at least somebody in their outfield mix at the major league level who could play center at least, you know, a couple days a week to help out in the event of an emergency like that. Like maybe Colos could cover center just fine. And that doesn't sap anything away from his offensive efforts. Um, you know, not great, but at least like not a liability. We've seen like, you know, guys like uh, Brian Goodwin play center and like, it's fine if he's hitting, uh, not great if he's not, but that's kind of what I'm thinking is they need somebody who can play center and you, know, you want to see him in the batter's box once in a while, which would not be Billy Hamilton. Well, your fourth outfielder options in early January are Lurie Garcia, Billy Hamilton and Gavin Sheets. That is unacceptable. So we yeah. both agree that the White Sox need to make one more move, even though it's going to be a smallish move. We'll see what happens in the rest of January. Maybe that's why Rick Hahn is traveling. Maybe, maybe he's not going on vacation. We'll see. But we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors as Pedro Grafal spoke more about his perspective on the 2022 White Sox on a recent podcast and how he wants to change those two areas immediately. We'll discuss that next after a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Recently, Chicago White Sox manager Pedro Grafal joined the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast with Courtney Finnecombe and Rob Bradford, part of the Odyssey Network. And on SoxMachine.com, we have a link to that podcast interview. I highly recommend it as they go into a lot of items with Pedro Grafal. And listening to this podcast, Jim, I, I first shout out to Courtney. I thought she did an excellent job interviewing Pedro Grafal, asking some pointed questions about how Grafal is going to handle things for the Chicago White Sox, especially in spring training and upcoming 2023 season. But Grafal was asked by Courtney when he was on the Royals bench last year, what did he see from the 2022 Chicago White Sox? And Grafal has mentioned these items in passing in the past when he was introduced, but he went into a little bit more in depth. And there were two things that he really highlighted. One, it was the energy level. If the Chicago White Sox were ho-hum, lackadaisical before the game, and they weren't giving off a lot of energy, they knew, as in the Kansas City Royals, they had the White Sox. If the White Sox came in and they were bouncing off the wall and they had a lot of high energy, the Royals knew that they were in trouble. So energy level was one. Second, it was Grafal who told all of the hitters of the Kansas City Royals really run the bases hard and try to take an extra base whenever you can because the White Sox outfielders are so fundamentally unsound that often they would miss the cutoff guys and that would result in extra bases for the Kansas City Royals. I want to talk about these two things because Mm -hmm. now he's the manager and this is his job to fix it. Let's talk about the energy level first, Jim. Mm -hmm. Can a new manager fix a team and existing clubhouses energy level on the first year of the job? I think to a large degree, yes, just because when it comes to players who might've been doing things uh, unacceptably, or like, you know, talk about the energy level. And let's just say like somebody with Yohan Mankata's production, like I'm not going to necessarily say Yohan Mankata's energy because we know he's had some uh, health issues too. And he might've been like a case where like when, you know, it might be more of a matter of the training staff, not, uh, you know, the, the communication we talked about with like not knowing between LaRusso and the training staff in the front office, like how healthy is actually a guy we're watching? Like, is a, is he 90%, 80%, 70%? Why is he out there? So like that's, but let's just say like Yohan Makata, um, his production and just like sometimes how it looked Let let's say that is an energy thing or like case where just he's in his head and it's not, you know, it's interfering with his effort on the field. Like there's a case where like, there is no history between Mankata and Grafal. And there is no history between like Mankata, or I, I should say Grafal and, you know, Aloy Jimenez in the outfield. So if like, it's a case where like, you know, Mankata is not ready to play or Jimenez is not ready to play or like Tim Anderson, if he's like, you know, um, you know, botching some makeable plays at shortstop, just trying to think of like the ones where it you know, comes up in terms of like, well, you know, why is this mistake being made? And the White Sox did lead the league in fielding errors last year when it comes to like, as opposed to like throwing errors. So just like the, the matter of like getting the glove in the right position uh, as we've seen, um, you know, I, I would talk about like, you know, Adam Engel is another guy who had some like curious decisions last year in the outfield, but he's not around, but it's a case where, you know, there's no loyalty. There's no history. There's, you know, Griffal has not seen these guys be better. Like he, he has no firsthand recollection aside from like being in the other dugout of like Yohan Makata's 2019. So like there's, he, he can't necessarily rely on that. And, uh, you know, same thing with like Jimenez, like the silver slugger form, like he might be able to show that, but if he doesn't like, you know, nothing is stopping Griffal aside from like lack of other options to try to pursue other solutions if it's really not going well, or if there's a pattern of like plays not made. So that that's why I can see like an uptick being made. And, I, and we saw this with like Robin Ventura uh, the first year that he took over for Ozzy Guillen, like a lot of stuff just kind of went to waste uh, under Ozzy in his last year as he was like preoccupied with like his, his status and trying to get Kenny Williams fired and just, the team had to run itself or Joey Cora had to run the team, but it was rather 
leaderless or it was like self-run and then you know ventura comes in and you know he starts like having a more detail-oriented spring training and they have the shadow ball uh you know exercises before games that you know catches the eye of other teams reporters saying like wow i've never seen a team do this you're having these kind of workouts uh and the defense improved and then it slowly slid away and then like rick renteria takes over for ventura same thing like more detail-oriented spring training and that worked. And then it kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it slid away. That was more a case where just the expectations were heightened uh, for 2021. Then La Russa happened. But I think there is a one year bump where everybody is maybe a little bit more on top of their games just because they do have to prove themselves to a new boss. So I think, you know, and especially with the way they play, played last year, how uh gravely disappointing it was and how embarrassing it should have been for so many players on the White Sox. And we saw Liam Hendricks talking about like how they need like an authoritarian figure. And uh, I can see like some at least sections of the clubhouse being cases where like, yeah, we, you know, we need to be better. We need to be open-minded. Um, you know, I assume Grafal is not going to come in and, you know, uh, Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross style, like, you know, <laughs> hitting the chalkboard and, and cursing out guys and then dropping all kinds of slurs, <laughs> you know, and basically like, you know, a new sheriff in town. Like I, I see him doing a, a more, uh, you know, human to human selling job on what he wants to see differently. But I, I think, you know, with how poorly they played last year, I think he probably has a lot of leeway in terms of like, instilling new drills. Like he talks about like how he wants practices to be more at game speed and, and, and you know, whether it's batting practice, whether it's uh, fielding drills, spring training, like he wants it to be more at game speed. And, you know, when Ventura was doing the shadow ball stuff, there was talk about like how veteran teams don't like doing that because it's a long season and, you know, it wears on people. And I think that's why Ventura stopped doing it because he didn't have anything to prove anymore or he made his points and they're playing better. And then, uh, it, it, you know, maybe it's a case where like the longer he's there, it's harder to reintroduce that. But I think early on, just with, you know, trying to figure out who's, who's what and who has what to offer. I think there is a, a bump in a manager's first year, just in terms of concentration efforts, uh, best foots, best feet forward. And, uh, that, that's why I've talked about before, just like how I think the White Sox manager should be limited to one year unless they get to a World Series. <laughs> and uh, I don't think we'll see that. I don't think anybody would take the job if they knew that was the case. But it's because of that one year boost that I can see, even if it, they're not going to be like great defensively, just better. You know, fewer bases given up uh, just by jogging to a gap or not knowing where to go with the ball fast enough or making an off target throw because they got to the ball, but still didn't expect that base being taken. Like I imagine there'll be a lot more or a lot fewer bases taken, or maybe some outfield assists uh, being made on easy throws just because uh, they are a little bit better than they were last year. Well, Grafal was asked about the world baseball classic with Lance Lynn and Tim Anderson playing for team USA, Aloy Jimenez playing for the Dominican Republic and not official yet, but very oft rumored that Luis Robert and Yoan Mercado will be playing for Team Cuba. There seems to be a hiccup there uh, as far as getting the Cuba team, the Cuban roster finalized for the World Baseball Classic. If they are truly going to move forward in allowing Cuban major leaguers to be on the team, both of them have shown interest. And I think that's a valid point because if you're trying to introduce new things into spring training, well, you're going to be losing out on five key players for the World Baseball Classic. And he mentioned in that podcast mm -hmm. episode, he's a half glass full kind of guy. And his focus is, is getting them ready for the World Baseball Classic, not so much shying away from it and wishing that his players wouldn't participate. Instead, because of the high stakes and the amazing opportunity to represent your country in the world baseball classic that you can't just show up to the world baseball classic 50% ready. You have to be a hundred percent ready. So at least for those five players, uh, the idea for Pedro Grafal and the white Sox coaching staff is to get them as close to opening day shape earlier so they could help their countries in the world baseball classic starting on March 10th. I thought that was uh, a pretty interesting take and angle for Pedro Grafal. Uh, coming into this spring training camp. And, you know, the second part, the defensively, I don't know how much a coach can help in the very first year take a team that was one of the worst in Major League Baseball defensively 
and try to make them league average. I'm expecting the White Sox to be better defensively, Mm -hmm. Jim. If you can have Tim Anderson play 140-plus games, he has gotten better defensively. If Yoan Makata could play 140-plus games, we know that he could play a good third base. If Luis Robert doesn't have some weird vertigo or some weird injury that's causing dizzy spells while he's out in center field, if he's 100%, we know that Luis Robert could be a gold glove candidate out there in center field and competed with Byron Buxton for that particular award. But man, you got questions at catcher. You got questions at first base. You got questions at second base. You got questions at right field. And I know Andrew Benatendi is better than Aloy Jimenez in left field, but I would say Benatendi is fine in left field. I don't think anyone's ever going to confuse him of being an elite defensive player in left field. So do you have confidence in Grafal? and his coaching staff to drastically change in how well this team will play defensively? Or is this just a matter of the talent that the White Sox have that bottom line is they're just overall not a good defensive team because of the players they have? Well, Ben Benintendi won a gold glove in 2021 in left field. So I think that improved. Yeah, uh, I think that improvement could be legit, especially with the smaller outfield to play. Like uh, you're going from Benintendi, uh, to Jimenez could be sizable. Like, I think the outfield could be fine, as you mentioned, if Robert's healthy. And if Colas is an everyday outfielder, uh, good enough to play there. Like, I think he can be, I would say, I would set my expectations for Colas and Wright as average. Like, I think he can be better, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a learning curve when it comes to just the the flight track of batted balls in Major League Parks, learning the outfields, learning the warning tracks, et cetera. Like, just taking a while to get comfortable in right field but i can see him being average so i can see the outfield being better but you know as i mentioned with the fourth outfield concerns like if robert gets hurt the uh or if colos like isn't ready for everyday work it gets messy in a hurry so yeah i think like there is a um i i can see this being a case where like just the overall depth of the white Sox that they do look better on the surface but they're not they, they don't have like a uh a wealth of plan B's or plan C's that can help them be a strength in one area, even if it's a weakness in another, like it's a case where like they might be weak offensively and defensively. And that's a concern of mine, but uh, that's why I think like, you know, having that outfield there will allow them to have a better defensive outfielder uh, or outfield as a unit, even if they have to move some guys around the right side of the infield, you know, as you mentioned a little bit up in the air, especially since you have rookies at second base, like even no matter what, you still have like a rookie at second or an effectively a rookie. And then Andrew Vaughn at first, like not convinced he's going to be great or like could be a, uh, a step back from Jose Abreu. So yeah, there is, there are gaps, but really it's about the matter of like, if you know, you know, as you mentioned, like Mankata, Anderson, Robert, frontline defender staying healthy. Uh, if I'm Griffal, if I'm Rick Hahn, if I'm the coaching staff, I'm trying to figure out what happens, you know, if Robert has to miss a month, what happens if Anderson has to miss a month? Like, what are our options? How are we going to move guys around? How can we patch this? Like, what's the best, you know, uh, trade off of offense and defense? Like, that's going to be, I think, what keeps them up at night, or at least, you know, has them working longer hours or has them doing alternate uh, lineups in spring training to try to figure that out because there are no easy answers there. And uh, I think another element of the defense is going to be like how the lack of shifting affects like how every team defends. Like, it could be a case where the White Sox are, you know, not great, but maybe some teams that have been historically good our average or maybe some teams that like aren't haven't been great positioning are better because they have better athletes. Like I could, I I could see there being some flux uh, with the quality of defense around baseball, just with how teams learn to balance uh, you know, having the best athletes on the field versus having the best hitters on the field versus having, you know, good defense out there. Ben attendee, I'm not Why did he win the gold glove in 2021? He had zero outs above average. His estimated success rate was 85%. He didn't add anything there, but he had seven defensive runs saved, which I know the fielding Bible, which is a contributor to the gold gloves. That is a metric that's very heavy handed and who decides to win gold gloves. Okay. Uh, sure, he won the Gold Glove in 2021. I, I'm a bit shocked watching Andrew Benatendi and 
yeah, I'm just a bit shocked. And UZR, he's been above average too, but last two years. Three metrics hmm. like him. I I guess so. Not the baseball savant ones. Uh, that so you, there you go. Now you got a difference in opinion based on two very uh, big sites at baseball savant and, and fan graphs or Andrew Benatendi. I agree with you. The outfield will be better, but there's a lot of work to be done for the white Sox coaching staff during spring training. So even though I mentioned the five guys going to the world baseball classic, it will give opportunities for the other players to prove themselves, especially defensively and work on that craft because if the White Sox are not going to be better defensively, they're going to need to hit for more power so they could overcome those defensive shortfalls. But I just found it those two items in particular from that podcast interview, the energy level and the lack of fundamentals, especially when it comes to defense, as two areas the White Sox must address during spring training. Uh, give definitely something to watch when spring training starts at about five weeks. Yeah. One, you know, listening to interview and, and, and uh, you know, thinking about the quotes that Griffall had, like, I wonder if his interview was just him and Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Chris Getsch just complaining about what they saw from the White Sox and like getting along famously because like Griffall's ripping on him and then Hahn starts ripping on him and then Griffall rips on him some more just saying, Oh, remember that when he did this and like just <laughs> going over and just finding like a, a, uh, you know, sympathetic ears uh, with each other, just talking about like how much they hated the on-field product between the two of them and just being like, you're our guy because uh, you hated this as much as uh, we did, or you liked it because <laughs> you would have hated it if you know you were managing that team. Like that's, that's yeah. what came to mind is just like, they were just basically roasting the Tony La Russa administration between them and just like, you got the job uh, because we've had more fun talking to you than anybody else that we've, we've cycled through here because of like, all the baseball, all the bad baseball you've watched last two years, or at least I should say one and a half years, because second half of 2021 was a bit of a mess for the White Sox. Just we didn't know that it was uh, uh, foreshadowing things to come. That is true. We did not know that at the time. But again, the entire podcast interview from Baseball Isn't Boring uh, will be available on the Sox Machine podcast page. So if you'd like to take a listen, there's more of that conversation. But those are the two things that caught my attention from that podcast interview that I just wanted to chime on. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be taking podcast highlights or the highlights from this podcast, I should say, and posting the video versions on our YouTube page which you could watch on youtube.com slash socks machine. We'll add additional graphics as far as to the conversation. And if you do enjoy watching videos and you want to help us out, we're getting closer to our 1000 subscriber milestone. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash socks machine. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at socks machine. You can follow me on Twitter at socks machine underscore Josh. If this is your first podcast episode, you've heard from socks machine. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Music and Spotify. And like we mentioned at the beginning part of the show, if you enjoy your work and you want more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, and you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.